Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Greetings, everybody. You're listening to another episode of The Command Zone. I'm Jimmy Wong with my co-host... Josh Lee Kwai. What up, what up? How's it going, everybody? So we have a great uh, show for you guys today. We've got a Commander Spotlight on Rafik of the Many. And we also have a main topic, of which Josh brilliantly came up with, which is how to teach Magic the Gathering to someone, because um, it's, a, it's a very important skill. Yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, over the years, uh, I've had a chance to do many times. In fact, recently I... I was teaching one of my nephews who's uh, 14 years old how to play Magic. You know, it's, um, it's super rewarding. You know, Magic's been a really good companion and friend to me over the years. And uh, so it's really a gift you can give somebody. And also, like, it, it grows your play group. Uh, it helps the game itself stay strong. Uh, it gives you somebody else to, to, to play against. Um, you know, all good things, all things you want to do. And I know, Jimmy, you know, you've taught a lot of people to play, uh, you know, a lot of different games over the years. You know, I have mm-hmm. too. Um, so I know it's daunting. It's a really daunting task, uh, cause magic yeah. is a super complicated game. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also a gift, like you said, that keeps on giving because you teach someone, you know, to play one game or play a game like magic. And, and I think it sometimes in a lot of people stirs up a thirst for this sort of competitive, cool, like new way of interacting with friends and stuff that isn't is competitive, but isn't necessarily friendship breaking, if that makes sense. And it's something that you can eventually... Uh, it becomes sort of the thing where like now you're playing with other people that are at, at your skill level and it just makes you a better player because they might bring something to the table that you never thought of. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like if you're looking to improve as a player, the, a good way to do it is just to have somebody strong that you're playing against. You know, there's this thing that they talk about uh, about the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus in tennis ah. because they sort of came out of nowhere. They played in Compton. Uh, they came out of Compton. There's no great tennis players, uh, you know, world-class ten- tennis players that came out of there. But because they had each other, they were able to raise both their games to such a high level that they were able to dominate tennis for all those years. And Oh, wow. Yeah, and so having a, a, a strong person to just compete against on a consistent basis is a good way for you to just continue to get better at the game. So, you yeah. know, and, you know, one other thing I would say about teaching is, like, it's amazing when you're teaching anything how much you as the teacher learn. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would just say that, like, relearning the basics to anything is so important because... Even just taking a step back and being like, wow, I kind of just sort of skipped the untap upkeep draw phase when I play because it's sort of always just implied. But teaching someone else, you realize that like there are triggers there. there there's a lot more interactions to be allowed in those certain points. Yeah, there's a lot of things you know you should do, but you sort of shortcut them sometimes. And sometimes slowing down when you're teaching somebody just makes you realize that, you know, little leaks in your game. And also just looking at things from the different perspective sometimes makes you notice things that you never would have. Because, you know, like you said, you're, some things are so habitual that, you know, you're not constantly examining them. And so you're not even realizing like little teeny things in your game, little leaks, you know, where you could be just you know, uh, eking out a little bit more advantage here and there. And so yeah. teach, teaching somebody is a really good way to find that stuff. So, yeah. you know, having said all that, you know, um, the first thing you usually want to do when, when you're teaching somebody is build a couple of specific decks, you know, t- what I'd call teaching decks. And, and one of the important things uh, when building the, the two decks that you're going to be facing off against is that, you know, they can be 40 cards, they can be 60 cards. You know, you want to stick to probably monocolored at the most dual colored. 
you're trying to take complexity out as much as possible. You want to make them really creature heavy. You you probably don't want any instants. You don't want you know artifacts, enchantments. You know you probably want to stick to like creatures, mostly vanilla creatures, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and and sorcery speed stuff and simple things. You know, so like I would build a deck that's mostly like what we call um, hill giants and grizzly bears, which are like two twos and three threes. You know, and then maybe a couple of what we call French vanilla creatures and French vanilla are just the basic keyword stuff, the simple stuff like first, first strike vigilance flying flying. Yeah. And have a few of those. And then, you know, anything with a ton of text on it, a ton of rules text, I just wouldn't put in there for, you know, when you're first teaching somebody. Yeah. And it's like, ultimately like, you know, you as a teacher might be like, well, this is the most boring deck in the world to play. But as someone that's never played magic before or has a limited experience playing, it's still going to be very complicated. And just the idea of trading power for toughness and et cetera, like what beats what in combat and double blocking and all that. I mean, I think that sometimes you just declaring blockers is one of the most complex part of the games. So if you're able to just lessen the complexity there and make stuff easier for them to understand how to block effectively and how to trade effectively, et cetera, is really important. Totally, totally. The um, the other thing I would say, uh, you know, we've got ten rules we're going to go through. Ten rules for teaching, I, I call them. Uh, but but one overall thing to keep in mind the whole time when you're teaching somebody, uh, I just call it like keeping your perspective, which is mm -hmm. basically means like stepping into your students' shoes, uh, their eyeballs, their point of view, and looking at the game from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know anything about it. You know, when you're teaching, it's inherently an unselfish act. So you got to get outside of yourself and you have to like, think like, if I don't know anything about the game, does what I just said just make sense or mm -hmm. does it even matter? Is it relevant? Like those are, those are things. So just constantly, as you're going through the process of teaching, just constantly be sort of changing your lens and looking at it from the student's perspective and, and say, and, and, and trying to uh, attack things from that angle. It'll, it'll make things a lot easier for them to digest. Yeah, definitely. And as an example of this, anytime you play a video game, uh, right, there's always a tutorial section in the beginning. Uh -huh. And the best video games don't to have tutorials that don't even realize are tutorials until, you know, you learn how to play the game. Like all the portal games, I think, are really a brilliant way of teaching you how to play the game while throwing you into the universe at the same time. And so, you know, you have to realize that game designers spend hours and months and months at a time developing just this section of the game because it really is integral to how a person perceives the game from that point out. And the bad tutorial or something that someone isn't enjoying as actively is going to really deter them from playing the game. And it's going to be the same when you learn to play Magic. Uh, I'm sure that everyone has their sort of negative experiences of either getting beaten or, or having someone throw a mechanic in their face that they didn't understand. And it's not a pleasant experience. And ultimately, like, sure, if you want to play Magic at a competitive level, you need to get to that point. But it's really important to know that when you're starting out, you need to prioritize, like Josh said, keep your perspective and know where, where you're teaching from and what's going to really help both you and your student. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with all that. So the rules for teaching somebody how to play magic. Rule number one, show, don't tell. So what does this mean, Jimmy? Well, this means that you need to basically, it's not like you're going to sit someone down with no cards on the table and sit there and talk about, all right, well, Magic the Gathering is a game where you have 40 cards, blah, 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 or 60. You essentially want to get cards in front of them, have them using cards in their hand, drawing cards, tapping lands, doing stuff, and basically have them do stuff. Show them how to do it. Don't don't just get really complicated and and blast a ton of dialogue in their face you know make sure that they can see what they're doing affects other stuff so that when they tap mana you know they can understand that okay i can do this 
um, and play this essentially. Yeah, exactly. So I literally like to start you and, and I not really say anything. It's just like, here's your deck. Here's my deck. Okay. To start a game of magic, you, we both start with 20 life and we're going to try and get everybody down to zero to win. So, or we're going to try to get the opponent down to zero to win. So to start every game, we draw seven cards and then we just have each player draw the seven cards and, and, and put them all face up on the table. So everybody can see each other's hands, you know, and you, and you explain that you don't normally do that, but for teaching purposes, you are. And then you literally go, okay, you can play one land each turn. These are lands. And this is how you tap lands and cast spells. And this is how the mana cost factors in. Yeah. And you just go. And, and as you go, you know, you let them tap their lands, you let them choose which spells to cast. And, and when things pop up as they normally would in the game, that's sort of how you explain it. But it's really important that the cards are in their hand. They're actually manipulating them. They're actually seeing this stuff. Because like you said, if I'm just spouting information at them before they've even got any context for what I'm talking about, it's useless. Yeah, exactly. And the beautiful part about Magic is that it is a very simple game at its core with just a few rules to shape the world. And from there, it, it's really easy to have them be like, okay, you play one land a turn, you can tap it once to add a certain amount of to your pool and then play a card in your hand. And you can essentially build the rules form them from the ground up. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's like this creature comes into play. All right, another rule about the game is that they have summoning sickness. And you sort of go from there, you know, so you don't start from the top down, you go from the bottom up. And I think that helps people construct the rules and how the game works in their head a lot more clearly. So the second rule I call let them play. So what this yep. means is, you know, I see this a lot. And this is when you're teaching anything. If you're teaching somebody something on the computer, if you're teaching them something and they're holding a pen and pencil, don't grab this stuff from them. You know, the, the, the tendency is like, I want to grab the mouse and I want to show you how to do it. That's not a good way to teach people because the way that recall works in the brain is that it's reinforced if it's on multiple levels. So hearing something mm -hmm. is one level of recall. Writing something down, physically interacting with something is another level of recall. If I do both of those, then now it's reinforced and it's a higher level than e any one would be by itself. So if I'm telling you something and you're physically doing something, you're going to have a lot better chance to remember it. So what I want to do is I want to say, okay, so you're going to tap that forest to cast that mystic elf. But I don't reach over and tap the force and I don't take the card out of your hand and put it onto the table. I just tell you what you need to do to do that. Because after you've done it a couple times, physically done it, then it's easier for you to remember to do that in the future. Yeah. And uh, in the same vein of things, uh, you like you want to be asking them to write the questions when you're laying them play, right? So it's not just like, hey, you need to do this right now because this is the best play for you. You know, they have a card of of seven cards in their hand and they may not know what any of them do but you can ask them the right question so for example okay you have two lands out and you're going to want to look in your hand for any cards that you can tap your two lands uh, and play because that's the most efficient and cost effective thing to do at this point so let them look through their hand and have them ask them ask you the right questions and you can answer them but like josh said you don't need to be playing for them you essentially are playing for them but <laughs> You don't want to make it seem like you are literally making all their decisions. Exactly. So uh, you want to read rule number three? Yeah, rule number three, and I love this rule, is keep it simple. And if you want to add a word to that, uh, stupid <laughs> is my favorite. Um, the kiss rule, which is basically just make make the game as broken down as possible and easy as possible for them to learn from the beginning, which is why Josh said, build a deck that doesn't have instants and combat tricks. Uh, and also, you know, keep away from planeswalkers. Um, think about sort of portal 
and the first starter sets, you know, they have all the text on the cards. They explain what everything is from flying to vigilance and first strike. And, and so basically you want to make it as broken down as possible. Don't even think about the stack, stick to those vanilla creatures and simple combat. And for the first few games you play, this is more than enough for them to sort of get into their heads, especially if someone's not familiar with the card game and just yeah, card games in general. I think, I mean, think about combat, like think about, I've got a three, three and a two, two, and you have a, a three, three and a one, one, and I attack with both my creatures. And you've never played the game before. Like, there's a lot of decisions right there. Well, I could yeah. block, I could trade, I could, you know, block and not trade. I could chump block one and kill the other. You know, there's so many decision points. And if you've never played the game before, that's super complicated. Now, that's really easy for enfranchised players, players that have played a lot, players like us, you know. But that's just four vanilla creatures, two on each side facing off. You know, so you don't want to be throwing stuff like giant growth in the mix there because that totally changes things to the point where like until they have the basics down of just attacking and blocking with no other outside things possible, mm -hmm. it's you don't want to layer on another thing before they've got the basic thing down. So yeah. that's why I say stay away from combat tricks. You know, counter spells, another thing that's just like early on, it's just really confusing. It doesn't seem super fun. It's just like I tried to do something and you just stopped it. You know, it's it's timing wise, just hard for them to figure out. That's why sorcery speed is just a lot safer because you just want to be able to do one thing at a time. You don't want to start worrying about the stack, how how effects stack up, that kind of stuff. It's just it's a, yeah. it's really hard for a new player to grasp all that stuff. Yeah, essentially magic, how the game must have been designed from the very first moment before a lot of like stuff like Mill and Dredge and all these other ideas that came in to make the game more complicated, of course, and more complex. But yeah, magic, the game at its most broken down state. Now, instances were there in the beginning, but there's nothing more disheartening than telling someone then, okay, so the next thing you want to do is play this card and they play it, and then you go like, okay, I counter it. <laughs> like yeah. that's not a very fun lesson to learn for it's anyone. Just, yeah, it's just not early on. It's just not good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the next rule, rule number four, shut up. That's the rule. Teach the minimum amount. They don't need to learn the entire game all at once. You know, they just need to be excited to learn it. And, yeah. and you know, I see this a lot too. Another thing when you see people teaching people anything, but especially when you see people teaching other people magic, you know, they start to tell stories like, they'll be explaining to you something and it'll remind them of a good story about a magic game that they played and they think that the new player's interested. You know, they'll be like, oh yeah, I once had this thing and I played this thing on it and the other guy tried to do this and blah, blah, blah. And to a new player, they don't have context for what any of the crap you're talking about is. <laughs> like they don't know that those cards, even if they've seen it once, they haven't, they don't have it memorized. They don't know what it does. They don't know how it interacts with other cards. And all you're doing is like, their brain will naturally try to understand that stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're just like, you're just like filling up their brain space with all this confusing stuff that they're going to try to digest. And it's just going to clog up the works and make it hard for them to learn the stuff that's actually important for them to learn right now, which is like, should I block or not? Yeah. Should I, should I cast a creature or not? You know, that's the level that they're at. So yeah, this exactly. is not about proving how smart you are. Like, get outside of yourself. It's not about other stories or anything else. It's just about them playing the game and understanding on a basic level how the game works. So do mm. the minimum amount of talking that you have to to get that done. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and to relate a personal story, I remember when I was a kid going to my local game store to learn another card game. Um, no one had taught me how to play. I just sort of had a very basic idea and I wasn't looking for anyone to play. I wasn't in that the situation where someone is actively teaching me. 
but I was excited to learn it. Mm -hmm. And actually hearing these stories in an outside context when someone wasn't teaching me was great because I heard two people talking about the game they, game they just played and working through their heads, saying all the card names and not having to explain the text on them and just the other player knowing exactly what the card was that they were talking about. And that made me really excited to learn it. But had that situation been someone trying to teach me the game and tell me these stories, it would not have had the same effect. So, you know, like, it's really easy to get someone excited about something if placed in the right context. And sometimes when you're teaching someone, that's not the right place to necessarily be dropping stories about your awesome card that you did this one time and you drafted this, et cetera, et cetera. And you saw these, these signals coming in or whatever. At that point, the player isn't necessarily interested in that. But if they're in a different situation, sure. It just really depends on the context. Precisely. Uh, you want to read number five? Yeah. Okay, this, uh, this is also, actually, all these rules are incredibly important. Rule number five, though, is make it fun. So that, this is, this is so important to teaching anything because you're not going to want to play something if someone isn't teaching it to you and you're not enjoying it. It's like you're, it's like you're imagining, great, now I'm just back in my least favorite class in school. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, you don't want to become your parents and scolding someone or, and teaching them a lesson when they make a mistake or something. You need to be encouraging and it's not like you're going to be talking to someone like a baby or talking to them like they're a child but you need to speak to them as an equal or a peer and that's the important thing is that by being encouraging you are also making sure that they are doing their own decisions they're making their own decisions that they're being really active about what they do and you are encouraging them to make their own choices with your guidance you know at the end of the day you're trying to get them from the point where you make 100 percent of their decisions which is draw seven cards that's how we start the game to them drawing the cards knowing what to, to mulligan knowing what to play first with their cards so you want to essentially cross that entire spectrum and the best way is to be making it a enjoyable experience the entire way through yeah that's that's totally true like if the first experience is not good you know, there's just a really good chance they just never try it again. I mean, there's too much stuff in the world. There's movies, yeah. there's video games, there's other board games, there's card games, there's hiking outside, you know, there's there's basketball and baseball and all kinds of, like, in your life, there's a lot of choices for stuff to do that's fun. So if you've tried something once and it's just not that fun, why are you ever going to go back to it? you got a whole bunch of other stuff in the world you've never tried before that might be better than that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, another example I guess I'll bring up from real life is the reason I play League of Legends and still play League of Legends is because I have a fun group of friends that I can always party up with and to play with. And we can teach each other and sort of give each other strategy and help each other coordinate during the game. And one thing I found out is that a lot of times when I'm playing League by myself and a lot of people are yelling at me or being angry that I'm not doing something right. Wait, that never happens in League of Legends. What are you about? <laughs> yeah, that'll never happen. That never happens in that or Dota or any of those MOBAs or World of Warcraft when I, when I wipe a raid or whatever. Um, Nobody gets at that upset. Point, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, why would you ever get upset about something? Come on, guys. Um, so like that, in those examples, but people get angry at me for losing or, or for helping or making them lose, essentially. They're blaming it on someone else. Uh, you get this different kind of inspiration that I, think is really, that I think is really negatively impactful, whereas you feel awful for what you've done and you want to like play again just so you can do better and get the approval of your teammates. And, you know, and I think that's the absolute wrong way to go when you're playing a game because you never want to have someone vying for something like for, for someone's approval or for someone to say good job or whatever. You want to make sure that they're coming into the game from a positive standpoint, not from a where the cup is half full instead of half empty, et cetera. 
Well, imagine like if you'd first played League by yourself solo your very first game and everybody yelled Ugh. at you for being a new... You probably would have turned the game off and never come back because you're not at yeah. the point yet where you understand it enough to even understand how to play better. You're just still learning. So, you know, negative uh, um, experiences early on... Uh, there's just they're just really bad. The, the, yeah. You know, you're just going to do the opposite of what you're trying to do, which is bring somebody to the game. You're actually going to make it so that they never want to play the game again. So, yeah, yeah, remember, the goal when teaching somebody is not winning. It's not you winning. It's not them winning. It's it's not about competition at all. That that can be later, you know. But if you yeah. try to teach and be competitive, you're aiming at two targets. You'll miss both. I mean, yeah, it's just not possible. Just. Try to remember your goal. Your goal is to teach them the game. It's not to win. It's not for them to win. It's just understanding of how the game works. Yeah, and uh, first impressions really do matter uh, in every aspect of life, whether it's the person that you met on the side of the road one day or it's the first time you play a game or it's the first, you know, first two minutes of an episode of TV that you like or don't like. You know, the first impression really sticks. And then psychologically, it's true. You can't really do much to actually help the impact of a first impression. So if you set a negative first impression, that is going to be something that is a mentality that is dis hard to break in someone. So make sure you set the right tone when you start. And that is about fun. And, you know, the best times you can play Magic, sure, you know, are when you're winning, but it's also when you have the most fun. Because some of my most memorable experiences are really close games that I may have lost, but had a blast playing. Yep, that's very true, and it's a very good point. Okay, rule number six, slow it down. This means you don't ever want to make the person you're teaching feel like they can't keep up or they're not keeping up. You want to make it easy for them to learn. You want to take away all judgment you want to make them feel like they're they're very safe and unjudged. You know, you don't want to have a, a point where they sort of forget a rule that you taught them or something like that, and, and you make them feel bad about it. You know, you just want it to be like, don't worry, there's no pressure, you know? And when they break a rule, yeah. you know, if they forget that something has summoning sickness, you go, no, you have, that has summoning sickness. I told you that, remember? No, you say, <laughs> yeah, that's just not a good way to, to do it. You just go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I probably didn't explain that very well. Um, you know, the first turn that something comes into play, it can't do anything. You know, that, that, yeah. that puts the onus on you as the teacher and takes it away from them as the student. And it makes it so much easier to learn something when you're not also simultaneously thinking about, like, does, this, does my teacher think I'm stupid? Do they, right. you know, am I keeping up? You know, how am I doing? How am I doing? You don't want your energy to be how am I doing energy. You want it to be what am I doing energy, you know, as a yeah. student. So think about how many times that you've made a mistake and when you play magic and even after playing for years or months or, you know, however, how long going to play magic online for the first time, I felt like I felt like the stupidest person in the world uh, because <laughs> I would make magic for a while. Yeah. Yeah. For a while. And I know when triggers happen, but continually I would make mistakes. And that's when, you know, if you are a beginner, that's you need to know as a teacher that everyone is allowed to make mistakes and you'll you know let people have take backs when we play commander competitively even against our friends we let each other have take backs too because it's like oh i just didn't realize that was on the board otherwise i wouldn't have done that you know it's like a bunch of just you want to take away the feeling of inadequacy that you have as a new player that they might have um thinking that like oh maybe i'm just not good enough to play this game or whatever it's like well you know like this is maybe the second time you've ever played magic let the mistakes flow because you want to learn from mistakes. You don't want to have them shut you down. And another thing, you know, that's really important uh, that's along these lines is like you as the teacher, like fight those feelings of frustration, annoyance, you know, teaching is really a lot about patience 
you know, it's about not judging the student. It's just about being very patient and very calm and just re-explaining things you've already explained. You know, it's just, that's yeah. how teaching works. Teaching anybody anything, they're not going to get everything you think they should get right away. You just explain it a couple more times until they do. You know, that's, and you just have to have yeah. this in mentality that like, I'm just going to be very determined not to be frustrated, not to get annoyed and just to be, to be patient. You know, that's a game you can play with yourself every time you feel those feelings. Cause they're natural when you're teaching people stuff because you know, a whole, you know, a whole yeah. bunch of stuff they don't. And it's really hard to be like, why aren't they getting this? It's okay. They will get yeah. it. Just keep being calm. Just keep explaining it. Yeah. And think about some of your favorite teachers you've ever had, you know, in school or in some of your least favorite teachers, you know, like think actually back to why they were your favorite or why they weren't. And I can almost guarantee you that teachers that you didn't like were probably the ones that criticized the most yeah. or weren't the encouraging ones or weren't consistent with their message. And, um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned, I was just a camp counselor recently, uh, in Oregon and shout out to all those guys over at camp recruiter. What, what? Uh, it's that, what, what? Yeah. Oregon. It's that, um, you need to be consistent with your message if you're trying to teach someone something. Because if uh, if someone is learning something for the first time and you knew learning it, it's the same sort of thing. Like Josh said earlier, you need to either write it down. It helps you learn one way hearing it orally. Uh, it's also doing it consistently helps a lot too. Um, just telling someone one thing one time and hoping they remember it forever isn't going to work. You need to be consistent with how you deliver your message, and that really helps grind in the the tenets of what the, the rule is to that person. Very true, very true. All right, so rule number seven, keep it moving. Um, this means that don't stop. You know, don't stop constantly. Don't like hit the pause button and be like, okay, so what happened here is what you did incorrectly or what, whatever, you know, you're analyzing it's, you don't want to just keep doing that, whatever, because it gets tedious. Don't stop something just to point out a mistake, you know, you stop something to maybe say like, Hey, good job with that play. You made a really good decision here based on what you had in your hand and what the board was like, but don't consistently stop to lecture or go into discussion. Strategy is for later. Yeah. I think, I think this specifically has to do with strategy discussion. Like, you know, let's say it's turn three and they have a choice between a couple of different creatures in their hand and they play one instead of the other. And you think they should have played the other one. It doesn't matter. Like, don't stop and be like, <laughs> don't stop and be like, why'd you play that grizzly bear instead of this guy? You know, because you're not at the level yet where they're even doing strategy. They're just trying to understand how the game works. So let them play mm -hmm. their stuff, let them make their decisions and let them make mistakes. And don't, you don't have to point out mistakes, strategic mistakes. You know, if they attack with something that has summoning sickness, yeah, you have to let them know that because they're going to, otherwise they're going to get a, uh, a, uh, the wrong view of how the game itself works but if yeah. they attack with their creature and they shouldn't have you know they got a three three you got a four four and they just attack into you just block it kill it you know and if they go oh man i shouldn't have done that which is what most people do you'll go yeah and you know next time you'll know and that's okay we're not trying to win the game remember we're just trying to have an understanding of the game and that yeah and that'll resonate so much more than with them than if you just said I wouldn't block. I wouldn't attack with my three three right here because I got a four four. You know, if they just watch it get eaten one time, that's gonna you know be a, a lesson that sticks in their head a lot more. Yeah, and a much more effective lesson too, because like making a mistake and learning from it is probably the most fundamental part of playing Magic better. There's a great saying I like, and it says, "It is a rare man indeed who can learn from another's mistake." Ooh, and it, and it's true. Like if you think in life, it's just very hard to learn from somebody else's mistakes. You, you mostly have to learn from your own mistakes. 
you know? And so them making mistakes is not bad. Don't try to insulate them from mistakes that they're making strategically. Yeah. You can still have fun and make mistakes. Yeah. I think making mistakes is part of the fun in that you get excited to not make that mistake, you know, again. And, and going back to the last point, you know, the slow it down point uh, or the not getting frustrated or annoyed or, or making them feel safe, you know, it's, it, it, you start to get a little gun shy if every time you start to make a decision, the person across the table from you like questions it, you know, like, well, are you sure you want to do that? Like, maybe you should do this every time you try and tap your creature or tap land or cast something, you know, it's mostly like, just let me make my decisions, dude. Just let me try and play the game and have fun, you know, and, and, and then I'm not worried about whether you're judging my decisions or not, you know, cause that ham hampers learning there. Th if they're um, using any part of their brain function, worrying about, well, if I, if I do something here, is he going to think that's the right move? Yeah, 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 exactly. If you're, you're not really playing for someone else's judgment, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, the next rule is teach with style. And by this, I mean, I don't mean have some sort of flamboyant way that you teach. I just mean, like, tailor your teaching style to your student. So, you know, people are different. Like, some people, I've taught people the game of magic, and they weren't really getting it until I said, listen, we're both wizards. And all these cards in our hands are spells. And the lands are the power for the spells. And so now I'm attacking it from a flavor angle and a story angle. And all of a sudden, like, in their mind, the game made more sense. You know, oh, I'm, I'm summoning a creature to go and attack you because I'm, I'm a summoning wizard. But then I summon a fireball and I threw it at your creature. You know, it's, we're telling a story with the game. That made total sense to them. But I've, I've, I've taught people to play Magic who, like, the math and the logic of it were what got their mind really going, you know? And, and so you just have to sort of read your student and see what they're responding to and sort of come at the game from that angle for them sometimes. Yeah, and this is also something that you as a teacher can make a mistake in. You could, as someone that is really interested in math and logic, start out and being like, okay, so here comes a card called the Runeclaw Bear. And uh, a bear is essentially a middle-of-the-road creature. He's, uh, he's strong on power and he's strong on toughness and defense, so he's a 2-2. And they may just not just get the flavor and they may just not care about the name or the art and are only looking at the numbers on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine. If you find that they're not resonating with a certain way you're saying something, just approach it from another angle the next time and see what uh, so what triggers that light bulb that go out, that goes off in their head when you're explaining something. And follow the path that a student or someone gives you. Don't create your own path and hope it's just going to work for everyone. Let them teach you how to teach them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think other things to keep in mind is like, how old is the person you're teaching? You know, you're inherently going to have to teach a teenager differently than somebody who's in their 20s you know the, the, mm -hmm. you know the math may be really hard if you're teaching like a 12 and 13 year old like you know you might build the decks so that the creatures are all like their power and toughness are all the same just because that makes the math a lot easier you know two threes and three fours are a lot harder to deal with math wise than three threes and two twos so yeah definitely so that may be something to keep in mind um you know what other games have they played you know do they play a lot of games in general like gamers are gonna just catch up to certain things like a lot faster than people who don't play a lot of games, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's just things to keep in mind when you're teaching is just tailor your style to your student. Yeah, definitely. And especially if they are someone that 
that has played a lot of other board games, it's great to bring in examples from other games that are similar because there are a lot of games that have, you know, similar concepts and for sure, for of sure. playing cards that help you play other cards, like cards, like games like Dominion and stuff like that. So doing stuff like that helps explain a lot better also like, hey, so this is just like in this game where you do this. But the difference here is that this is what happens or whatever. And that will really help you adjust your teaching accordingly. Yep, that's a great point. All right, rule number nine, uh, which is, uh, we, we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier, but it's uh, uh, flip the script. So when you do pause the game, have them explain what's going on back to you. So uh, if, if they're doing something, saying like, okay, so that creature attacks, can that creature attack? It's like, actually, no, that person can't attack. And you ask them, why not? Well, and they'll say, you know, they just played it and has summoning sickness. Can you tap this land to do that? Well, I can't, but I can tap these two forests and these two uh, colorless because et cetera, et cetera. So you essentially want to have them ask the right questions, questions that you might ask your on your turn that maybe intuitively you don't ask anymore. So for a tapping example, let's say you have five lands out and two of them are planes and the rest are uh, forests. And you need three planes to cast something in your hand. Now in your head, if you have a card that's one mana and three white, you're going to look at your board and be like, well, I can't cast this. I don't have the mana. But um, you wouldn't ask yourself that question. You would just look at the card and just know intuitively. But someone that's starting the game out would have to take that step to ask that question. So make sure that they're asking the same questions that you would um, in a game. And that's going to make sure that they also sort of interpret the game in the most um, strategic and correct way. Yeah, I think you explained that, that rule. I have nothing to add. You explain it perfectly. <laughs> uh, I'm perfect. Oh, boy. I'm going to listen back to this Slim Day and be like, oh, gosh, that was <laughs> no, so not was perfect. perfect. I, you hit every point. <laughs> I, I think that was really awesome. Okay. Rule number 10, quit while you're ahead. So, oh, so important. Yeah, super important. Uh, you know, it's a really complex game. So you kind of got to get it out of your head that you're going to be able to teach anyone the, the game in one sitting. You know, you need to sort of read your student as you're teaching your goal is that they walk away and they're just marveling at the possibilities of the game. Other, you know, you don't want them to be walking away and they're just struggling under the weight of like a ton of information. You know, you don't want yeah. to info dump them to the point where they're just, their brains just, you know, they got a headache and it's just so much, it feels like they can't hold all that information. So, yeah. So you really got to pay attention. If they seem to start getting frustrated, you know, take a break, walk away, say, okay, that's great, you know we'll we'll play again tomorrow we'll play again in an hour or we'll play again later whatever it is yep. don't you know you can you can overstay your welcome really easily when you're teaching stuff yeah exactly and it's also like there there is a tipping point right where you're filling up someone's brain up to a certain point and at a certain point it's going to get to the point where they are going to say to themselves i don't know if i can remember all this next time and at that point you that's when you are really walking a fine line because if you don't want to really you don't really want to blast through that and get to the point where they're like, okay, cool. So now, uh, what does this do again? Oh gosh, there are more colors I don't know. You don't want to make it daunting to them. So if you're teaching them with two decks, it could just be like red versus blue or red versus white or whatever. And the next time you play, like, okay, the next time we play, we're going to introduce uh, black. And black's a whole different world of flavor and, and cards and creatures that do certain things and creatures that can't do certain things because it's not in their color zone or whatever. It's not associated with their color. So really make sure that you know that teaching is not just a one-time affair. You didn't learn much in one go and no one else is going to either. Okay, so that is our top, our 10 rules for teaching magic. You know, the, we, we've all have this friend and they sort of hang around at the periphery and they ask questions, but they haven't played the game. You know, they've seen us playing. Uh, you know, 
maybe you go out to them next time and go, hey, you know, why don't we take 20 minutes here and I'll just teach you the basics of the game. It, it, it's, it's really easy, you know, to just quickly play a couple of games from a simple standpoint once you've built these decks, you know, these simple decks. And, you know, it's amazing. You're giving a really good gift to your friend and you're giving a gift to yourself too because, you know, they're going to be somebody that you can potentially play Magic with, you know, for years to come. And they might be someone that beats you eventually uh, that you will have to learn to get better to play against them. And that is the ultimate situation because you're essentially just making yourself better, a, a better player and them at the same time. And there's, you know, there's a great amount of pride when somebody that you introduce something to, you taught them, they become your equal at it or even better than you at it. It's like, wow, you know, uh, I, that's, you can feel really good about that because, you know, the, the, yeah. if the student ever becomes the master and they're telling you things and they're interacting with you, they're talking about, you know, interactions that they see that you didn't see. Like the, you, there's a lot of pride there from the students or from the teacher standpoint. Yeah, that's like the movie moment, you know, where the karate kid becomes the master or, you know, wins the tournament and, you know... It, and, it, and it wasn't you going out there and fighting the fight for them. You know, they were the ones that ultimately had to be out there and doing it themselves. And without your guidance, you know, you learn something from them and they learn something from you. So it's really great. When I left, it's, it's Darth Vader, right? It's when I left yeah. you, I was but the learner. Now <laughs> I am the master. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, man. I, I did not even think we'd ever bring Star Wars into this in the conversation, so I'm glad we did. Um, and also for those guys out there that, that don't want to sit around and build a deck, um, Wizards also provides a lot of stuff that is very helpful in this regard. Um, the dual decks, I think some of them are very simple enough that can also be great learning experiences, and they're built to play each other, you know? I think that if you do build decks, dual decks are like the next level up that you can do to help someone out to, okay, cool, now let's play some with some more complex decks, decks that were meant to fight each other and specifically have synergies to play against each other. Yeah, that's really smart. That's a really good idea is like as your second step, your second stepping stone to sort of continuing to grow and learn magic, you know, after you've used the simple decks for a little while. Yeah, those dual decks uh, are great. And, they, you know, they just announced that they're coming out with a, they're reprinting a lot of the old ones, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of opportunity there to sort of continue a student's education, uh, you know, in a really fun way. So, yeah, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, and I think there's a, a beauty in being able to play multiple games with the same decks against each other because you start learning the ins and outs of each deck. And, and it's very similar when you know you're, like, playing any competitive event is that you need to know what's coming at you or, or be able to predict it. And I think that's a huge part of the game, too. So, like, being able to play the decks knowing what potentially might be coming at you is a really important way another step to learning and upping your level of your game. Okay, so we've got a Commander Spotlight. Uh, this is one of your commanders, Jimmy. Do you want to introduce yes. him? Yes. His name is Rafik of the Many. He is a legendary creature, human knight. He was uh, he was initially printed in Shards of Alara, and he's been reprinted in From the Vault Legends. And he is a, a band commander, and he costs four total, uh, one colorless and uh, green, white, and blue. And Rafik of the Many is, um, his flavor text is many sigils, one purpose. And that purpose is killing people as fast as possible in one... It's to kill you. One, yeah, one swift strike. I'll read his text. He is, uh, first text is a exalted, and that keyword means whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Uh, so this basically means that you always want to be attacking with one guy uh, with his generals out on the board because it gives that creature just an extra little buff 
But Rafik is an excellent commander because his second ability is whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gains double strike until end of turn. So what this means for both abilities is if you're only attacking with one creature, any creature, doesn't have to be Rafik, just any of your creatures is only attacking by itself, then it gets these buffs, which is exalted, so it gets plus one, plus one, and then it gets double strike. So... You know, Ooh. if you've got, if Rafik's your biggest guy or your best guy at the moment, then you attack with him by himself and he gets that stuff. But if you have something else that's bigger or better for whatever reason, then you attack with it by itself and it gets double strike and plus one, plus mm -hmm. one. And essentially, thinking about it is, this is ability is, is really powerful because Rafik is a 3-3. Three, three, and if you swing by himself, he just hits for three. Wah, wah. But if he triggers all the text on his uh, on his card, then he gets plus one, plus one for the 4-4, four, four, and he double strikes, so he hits for eight. That's uh, with nothing on him. Yeah, that's with nothing on him. by himself. That's eight commander damage, boom, yeah. for a four casting cost guy. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty ridiculous, especially when you're just trying to get to 21 commander to uh, shut someone out of the game. So, uh, so he is powerful by himself, but of course, commander is about the 99 cards you build around your commander, and uh, that means that you are essentially trying to get other creatures out that have exalted uh because if two people have exalted then that plus one plus one turns into plus two plus two plus two because both those cards add exalted stack yeah however many cards you have on the table with exalted it'll they'll all add the plus one plus one to the singular attacking creature you have yep so if there's another exalted card out there rafik uh starts swinging for eight now sort swing for 10 because he goes from 3-3 three, three to 4-4 four, four with exalted and then 5-5 five, five with a second exalted and double strike that so uh, as you can imagine, it's kind of got this kind of gets out of hand pretty quickly, and as if it's not answered. It's crazy. I've been killed by it many times. Yeah, and I have two, which is why I decided to make a deck because they just seem like too much fun, uh, <laughs> especially on one v one situations. Because I think he's a great commander one v one, and he's also really fun to pile at multiplayer because it really becomes a politics game. Because once people know what Rafik does, they're going to want to. A lot of people sort of want to aim for him first. So one thing to keep in mind when you're building the deck is that you're almost always going to be attacking with only one creature at a time. So it's not one of those decks where you're attacking with like two, three, six guys at once. You know, you're going to be the most optimal. You're going to get the maximum out of all your triggers, your exalted triggers, when you attack with one thing. So that's an important thing to keep in your head as you build this deck. Yeah, so it's kind of like a Voltron deck where you can kind of just want one big guy to get stacked up with a bunch of stuff to swing in for the win essentially and it's cool though because the voltron in this deck can move to any creature at any time because it's not an equipment you know exalted stacks on whoever is attacking alone so that creature that i have in this deck are for its utility and for max damage so so the basics are add exalted make them unblockable and then deplete 40 life commander or not or as we'll see there are other ways to kill somebody yeah uh, you know once yes. you have enough exalted and there are other uh, abilities so yeah let's talk about uh some some exalted cards you know that that, that belong Definitely. in the deck so um what do you think the most important one is uh to me i think the most uh important card is sublime archangel um she is very special she's two and two white a creature angel that's uh, four three flying. She has exalted, and the other important uh, thing is other creatures you control have exalted. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so what we said, so when we said exalted stacks, this is what will happen. If you have Sublime Archangel out for Rafik uh, and two other guys, uh, two every one of those creatures has exalted, and all of a sudden you have Sublime Archangel adding one exalted, Rafik adding one, and two other creatures adding one. All of a sudden they're adding four power and toughness to him, and then he gives double strike. It's just, it gets crazy really fast. 
Yeah, and you, even if Rafik can't swing, you know, as a 3-3 body that becomes now a 7-7 for 14, then Sublime Archangel can swing in the air, you know, for 8 times 2, 16 damage, and that's almost half of someone's life in Commander. So Sublime Archangel is great because the more creatures you have on the board, the stronger everyone gets. She's just such a scary, scary card to come out and almost requires an answer because she's just going to really... Um, She's going to make Rafik do some work. Okay, so the next card, uh, a good exalted card, is actually a land. Um, it's called Cathedral of War. Uh, it's a land that comes into the battlefield tapped, and the land itself has exalted. And you can tap it for one colorless. So it's a land that adds plus one, plus one to whichever one of your creatures is attacking, which is, you know, these are the types of cards I've talked about in the past that I really like because they fulfill two two spots in your deck. You know, it works as a land and it does the mechanic that you're that you're trying mm -hmm. to do. And the nice thing about it too is that it's not really going to be the target of a lot of people. Very a lot of people very often don't even realize that it's sitting out there when you attack for so much and it's like, wait, how's he swinging for that much? And you're like, and you point at the land, and you're like, oh, I see. Uh, while a creature like Sublime Archangel is definitely going to be the subject of uh, removal a land like Cathedral of War definitely can slip by unnoticed for a lot more often. Yeah, it's pretty innocuous. It rarely will get taken out. Yeah, which is pretty great. Um, another really fun card is Finest Hour, and this is a deck that I think can be really heavy on enchantments. Um, Finest Hour is a two and bant, so it's five total, uh, two green, white, and blue, and it's an enchantment that just gives Exalted and also says whenever a creature you control attacks for alone, if it's the first combat phase of the turn, untap that creature. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Uh, so Finest Hour essentially does two things. One, it's already asking you to do what you want to do with the deck, which is attack with one creature per turn. And it gives everyone exalted on top of that. And on top of that, as a reward, it gives you another attack step. Not to mention that person on the card <laughs> is Rafik. Yeah, this card is, is crazy. If you get this Cathedral of War and like one other exalted thing, you're hitting them for 12 with Rafik, 12 commander damage. Then you get to untap and do another combat phase, hit them again, they're dead. Yeah. That's a so, single turn win right there. Yeah, it's really, it's not difficult with Finest Hour at to just kill somebody. With Finest Hour out to just kill somebody. Um, yeah, it's, that card is, it's, dare I say, bonkers. Yeah, I think you can dare to say it. <laughs> So the next um, the next category we have that's important is you know once you're going to be making your one creature like really big with exalted and, and, and some other things then you know it's really important that they connect uh, their damage through to one of the opposing players so unblockability is like is very important um, mm -hmm. one of the uh, best cards for this we've talked about it many times in the past is a uh, whisper silk cloak. Yeah, just one of the best equipments in general and uh, almost a mainstay in every commander deck I've seen. Yeah, and, and yet somehow even more important in this deck because uh, it, it's, if you don't know, Whisper Silk Cloak is an uh, artifact equipment, costs three to put out and two to equip, and an equipped creature is unblockable and has Shroud. So this does two, th two things you really want, which is they're unblockable, so they're going to get their damage through, and also it protects the creature because the creature has Shroud. Yep. And usually the creature that you're equipping this to is going to be a threat uh, because, you know, if, for instance, putting this on something like Sublime Archangel is an excellent choice or any of your other huge creatures because people want to get rid of it. And Shroud is one of those excellent ways of just giving a protection across the board that they have to get rid of the cloak beforehand. But at that point, you know, this guy's already going to be swinging for a huge amount of damage. Yeah, this is a way to get Rafik through or any of your creatures through 
for just, you know, a ton of damage. Rafik's giving him double strike. Everything else is giving him plus one, plus one. And all of a sudden, like, something's just swinging for, like, 20 damage. Yeah. You know, and you can't block it and you can't kill it. It's, yeah, it's brutal. Um, what's another another card that gives uh, Unblockable that I really like is Rogue's Passage. Yep. Again, another commander card that I think should be in most decks, um, which is just a land that adds one to your mana pool. And for four mana, you can tap it and target creature is unblockable this turn. Um, which makes it super effective um, because this allows you to choose sort of, you know, you get to choose who's unblockable this turn. Yeah, and again, it's a land and it taps for colorless mana, so it's useful, you know, and while you're not using it for the unblockability thing. It's doing something else that your deck needs to do, which is produce mana. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my other favorite card in these colors is Thassa, God of Sea, uh, because she is just a three-mana indestructible enchantment. Um, mm -hmm. and very rarely is she going to come online and get the devotion up to make her a creature, um, which is great because she both allows you to scry every upkeep and also just for one in the blue, make a creature unblockable. And that is, I, in my lexicon, that's bonkers because that's super cheap to do it. And, um, worst comes to worst, if you need to swing with everyone because you have no other choice and you can't do any, you can't do the exalted stacks, you can make, you can everybody, just make yeah. everyone unblockable. Well, and also, she's basically like Rogue's Passage, but just cheaper. You know, yep. instead of four, uh, you can just pay two. And the Scry 1 ability is uh, very important yeah. for, you know, just evening out your draws and uh, making the game go more smoothly for you. Yeah. So she's, she's very powerful in the deck. Yeah. Uh, the next category uh, we call Make It Matter. So it's like, okay, I got my creatures out with Exalted. You know, they're going to be pretty big. I make them unblockable, so they're going to get through and hit the opponent. And so I just want to make sure that that matters, that has the biggest impact it can have. So, you know, there's a couple ways that this can work. One is uh, the Cold-Eyed Selkie. Ah, uh, which one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah which is a 1-1. One, one. It has Island Walk, so sometimes it's just... Uh, it's a 1-1 one, one for 3 mana, so it's a hybrid green-blue, hybrid green-blue 1. Uh, it's a 1-1 one, one with Island Walk, and it says, whenever Cold-Eyed Selkie deals combat damage to a player you may draw that many cards. Nice. So upon first reading, you know, some people go, well, this isn't much better than, say, Scroll Thief, which is uh, three mana for a 1-3, and when it when it causes combat damage to an, an opponent, you draw a card. But the Selkie says, you may draw that many cards. So mm -hmm. as much damage as it does, you draw that many cards. So with Exalted and Double Strike... Even if only Rafik's out on the table, you're going to draw four cards. Four cards, and the island walk is so important because who doesn't play blue in a multiplayer game? Well, and you're playing against maybe four other players or three other players. There's a really good chance yeah. that one of them's got blue, one of them's got islands, and so you just get to draw free four cards or more. Yeah, and that is, that's nuts. That's better than almost any other draw engine you can put in a deck is because you can, you know, there's there's always going to be a target for the Selkie to attack, and if you get even just a couple more, if you get too exalted on there, you're drawing six cards every single yeah. turn. Oh, my gosh. If you don't win the game from that point, it's going to be... Well, and also, like, you have a lot of cards that give things unblockable because it's one of the goals of the deck. So even if the Island Walk doesn't matter, you can still make the Selkie unblockable. So if yep. you don't have enough damage to kill somebody, you can at least draw into the cards that will give you that amount of damage. So, yeah. So another card uh, that, if you can make it unblockable, is very, very powerful is the Hydra Omnivore. Printed in Commander, too. Yeah, so it's, a... it's meant to be played in yeah. Commander. Yeah. And it, it was recently mm -hmm. in Conspiracy. It's 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 a really strong card. Um, 
It's six mana, four and two green for a creature Hydra. It's an 8-8. Eight, eight. Hold it's on. already wait. awesome. Six mana a, for an 8-8. 8-8 eight, eight. Eight, eight for a six? Yeah. They better have some kind of downside. Let's uh, hear the downside. Nope. It's got the opposite. <laughs> it has the opposite of a downside. It says, whenever Hydra Omnivore deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to each other opponent. So if you swing through, let's just say Rafik's out and you make this thing unblockable. So it's a 9-9 with double strike. It's going to do 18 damage to all your opponents. Oh, my gosh. This is one of those cards we talk about uh, in Commander, which is like your ability to kill every other player at the table in one turn. This yep. guy gives you that ability. You know, with just pumping it a couple of times uh, with another card we didn't talk about earlier, like Berserk. Yeah. Uh, oh. You want to read Berserk? Yes. Yeah, so Berserk is is probably the uh, one of the strongest combat tricks. Uh, it's a it's a one green, uh, for an instant. So it's total of one CMC. Cast Berserk only before combat damage is dealt. No problem. Uh, target creature gains trample and gets plus X plus zero until end of turn, where X is its power. At the end of the end step, uh, discard that creature if it attacked this turn. So with Hydra Omnivore on the board, it would get ugh, it would ugh, six. It would go to a sixteen sixteen. Well, if it was or, by itself, if if there's an exalted trigger or two out, or 16, eight. it's pretty easy for it to be a double strike, you know, yeah. 20, 20, and then you just kill the, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Because the, um, the exalted triggers starts before combat damage is dealt. So he would swing in for a, as a nine, nine, and you would double that to an 18, nine. Yeah. So if you had one other exalted trigger, if you had Rafik, one other exalted trigger, like a cathedral four, and then you mm -hmm. berserk him, you, the omnivore, you kill everybody. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because you're swinging for four. I want to do that. Yeah, and the best part about multiplayer with Rafik is that there's always going to be someone that you can probably swing at. You know, maybe not the guy next to you, but a card like Hydra Omnivore is like, I don't care who has what on the table. As long as I can get through the one person, yep. that's and that's all that matters. Yep. Um, and the fact that it's six mana for an 8-8, eight, eight, two is just like, what? What happened here? This is a nuts card. Yeah. It has no downside. There's, Literally no downside. There's no downside to that card. It's just awesome. Yeah. That's, That's like making everyone want to kill you. If they if they even can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can drop it and put swift boot boots on it, it doesn't matter what they want to do. They're just going to be dead. Yep. Pretty much. The other thing I would say is infect. Oh, because, infect. Ugh. Yeah. It's great to deal 40 damage to him or 21 commander damage to him. It's a lot easier to just deal 10 damage to them. Yeah. So if you can give a creature infect or else play a creature that has infect and get it up to, to 10 uh, power, you know, that can end the game right there. So um, one of the cards is Putrefax. Um, so that's a five mana. That's three and two green for a creature horror. It's a five, three. It has trample, very important, and haste. Haste, super important too. It has Infect, which means the creature deals damage to other creatures in the form of negative one, negative one counters, and to players in the form of poison counters. We talked about this before, but if you ever get 10 poison counters as a player, you're yeah. dead. You lose the game. You are poisoned to death. Yep. And it says, at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Putrefax. So you get to use him once, but he's a 5-3 already. He has Trample and Haste. So that means if you have Rafik out and you play Putrefax, if they can't kill it, or have something with high enough toughness to absorb a lot of the damage, they're dead. Yep. He really can just come in and swing in for the win because he is haste, and the trample really does make a huge difference because they can't yeah, just the, chump block him. The trample makes a huge difference because if they've only yeah. got a 2-2 out, they're just dead. Yep. And if you have more exalted stacks, then they're even 
the trade that they have to make is a really not good for them because double strike means that he's going to swing in for six or seven for that first hit. And then they're not that many creatures that have enough, have above seven toughness. So even if you can't swing with Putrefax for the win, they're probably going to have to sacrifice some significant, something significant to die to it, which is uh, optimal. Yeah. I'd say most of the times they have to sacrifice two or three creatures to it just because it'll have double strike. It'll have exalted. If it has exalted from two or three more places, like it's swinging in for like, let's say 16 yeah. or 18 damage. So they have to somehow absorb eight to, you know, seven to nine of that damage to just not die to the poison counters. You know, a lot of times that takes two, three creatures. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they just don't have it and they're just dead too. I mean, you can do it on turn five. Yeah. So it's rough. Yeah. This card is, is really, really good in this deck. Yeah. Especially it's, it's like someone hits it a board wipe and you have a future facts in your hand. You're like, well, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do some damage and you're able to cast Rafik at, you know, and, and just protect him from that board wipe. Or even if you have spot removal, you know, you can take out their blocker and be like, well, guess you're going to die now. I mean, you'd only need nine mana, uh, you know, it'd have to be the right colors. But if somebody board wiped and you had nine mana and you had Putrefax in hand, you just play Rafik, play Putrefax, kill somebody. Yeah, and that's sort of the beauty of this deck is that, yeah, it's like it can make that happen. And it has the ability to really just come out of nowhere and just take someone out. And another card that has Infect that does that is Spinebiter. Um, it's a, he's so mean because he doesn't even need... He's less conditional than Putrefax is. Um, he's four and two green for a three-four body. And at first it's like, ugh, three-four. Oh, that's not that good for Infect. But Rafik's out and he becomes a four-five. And if you literally only need one other um, Exalted card because his big text is, you may have Spinebutter assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So he's essentially unblockable because he can swing at anyone. They can block however they want. Uh, they can, okay, I'm going to sign this combat damage, and I'm going to sign it as though it wasn't blocked, and you just take 10 Infect. Yeah, if you can get him to 5 power and Rafik's out, he has double strike, and you're just dead. Yep, just like that. Mean, mean. Super mean. And, and Spinebiter is definitely one of those creatures that I search up if I can tutor for one, and I need to just end someone's game really quickly. Uh, another uh, really powerful card in this deck is called Grafted Exoskeleton. It's an equipment. It costs 4 to put out and 2 to equip. It says, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has infect. Whenever grafted exoskeleton becomes unattached from a permanent, sacrifice that permanent. So that part, who cares? The important <laughs> part is, the important part is you get plus two, plus two, and infect. Yep. So you can turn any creature into an instant killing machine. You know, if they're unblockable, if they have Whisper Silk Cloak, and you have Rafik out, actually, all you need is Rafik. Yeah. Unblockable Rafik, and this. Yeah. Because <laughs> he do it himself. Yeah, because he'll be a 6-6. Six, six, with double strike and infect, and so he'll just kill him. Yeah, and uh, introduced to by Craig, uh, our least favorite infect player, oh, aka the only infect. infect player that we know. I mean, we might throw some infect in our decks, but he loves infect. It's in yeah. all his decks. And I mean, and here's the thing: it's like it's an amazing win condition for a commander because, like, yeah. let's say the board is so stalled out that, and there's things that you can't really do to get around it. Infect is one of those great ways to just. That guy that, you know, because of his Sarah Ascendant is at 60 life, just dies. Yeah, it's kind of like a loophole in the system, you know. It's <laughs> like, oh, I don't care how much, what life you're at or, you know, how, how many whatevers you've got. You know, 10 poison counters dead. Yeah, and like that's a that's a pretty powerful. And I really don't blame anyone for playing Infect because no, th there are ways to stop it from happening too. And, you know, it's it ultimately is just kind of your fault if you can't stop it from happening, unless it's spine better, in which case it's like a... There's just nothing you can well, do you about that. Well, you need instant speed removal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we've talked an about that before. 
Um, okay, let's move on to the next section, which we call protection. So any voltron deck, any deck that's trying to sort of build a super creature, they always want to protect that creature. Yep. So, you know, we've got the normal stuff we talked about, Whisper Silk Cloak. We've, we've talked about Swift Boot Boots in the past, but this one has some, uh, some unique ones. Yeah. Um, um, one ahead. of them is a card that actually just came out in M15, which I really like, uh, along the Log Commander decks, which is the Soul of New Phyrexia. Um, it's a six mana cost uh, colorless, six, six with trample. And um, for five mana, uh, you can pay it permanent to control, gain indestructible until end of turn. And the second ability is the sa essentially the same thing. Five mana, exile Soul of New Phyrexia from a graveyard, uh, permanent to control, gain indestructible until end of turn. And this is just like, stop the board wipe. Uh, you know, this is, this is, hey, guess what? You can't kill my creatures now. Because, you can't kill all my stuff. Yeah, for five minutes. Unless it's Toxic Deluge, which is the best board wipe. Yeah, exactly. Or like a Path to Exile. You can't really do yeah. much about that. Um, but it's a great card because it has a lot of utility. You know, it can toss into your bin and still be used from there to stop one thing. And also just as a 6-6 six, six body with Trample, it's great with Freak. Yeah, it's actually awesome because if you put the, uh, you know, if you gave it Infect or or whatever, you don't even need to make it unblockable because Trample is its own form of evasion. Yeah. So with a couple Exalted triggers and Double Strike from Rafiq, you know, you could kill somebody with this thing, not not too difficult. Yeah, Ex definitely got a lot of power behind him and uh, utility of being able to just stop everyone from destroying their stuff for just five mana, that's that's an amazing answer to a board wipe. Again, this is another one of those cards we really like because it's doing two things. It acts as a creature with Trample, you know, that can attack and block and do damage, but it also acts as protection for your creatures. Yeah. So instead of a card that only does one of those things, it does both. So it's very, it, you know, it's very strong in this deck. Yeah, definitely. Um, another card I like, or I should say I hate, because you know, <laughs> whenever you play this deck and this card comes out, I'm like, oh crap, how are we ever gonna win? Um, it's Asceticism. It's a green enchantment. It costs three and two green. It says creatures you control can't be the targets of spells or abilities your opponents control. Already then, amazing in itself. Yeah, and then if that wasn't, they just kick you while you're down. And, you know, if you're the opponent. And it <laughs> says, pay one in a green, regenerate target creature. So it protects them in two ways. They can't be the targets of spells or abilities, so instant speed removal doesn't even work anymore. And then you can regenerate your dudes, and you can do that for as many times as you've got two mana available. Ugh. This thing, it's just ridiculous. Because yeah. all of a sudden, like, I can't even deal with your stuff by you know just killing it yeah and you have to have exile stuff to like really get rid of stuff and even then you can't because your creatures can't get targeted you can't be spot targeted yep. it would have to be exile you know all whatever yeah. you know yeah it's it's really tough once this gets out on the table for for this deck yeah. to, to, to lose. I mean, that would have to just be killed in the next turn or something. Yeah, and also it means that creatures that can start swinging in at you and you can't even block efficiently because they can just regenerate anything that ends yeah. up poorly for them. Yep. Yeah, this is a really, really strong card. Yeah, definitely. Um, another great card, though, in this case, is um, very simple and very innocuous, but it's Mother of Runes. Oh, yeah, this is a... This card should be around in more decks, I think. Yeah, and she does work. It's not she the Mother work. of Dragons, uh, for you Game of Thrones fans. <laughs> um, she's just. Can we just call her Khaleesi from now on? Yeah, right. She should just be target dragon you control. Um, <laughs> uh, so Mother of Runes is just a one mana 
uh, cost one white, and you can tap her and target creature you control gains protection from my color of your choice until end of turn. And it just makes just not. It may not seem like a lot, but every time other runes hits the table, like you gotta realize she can also target herself, and so that means that people can't get rid of her if they want to get rid of her. If they got to get rid of her in something else, they have to essentially make her tap you down with one spell and then use another spell to get rid of what they want to. Uh, so it's essentially a stopgap. Yeah, exactly. And they sort of, or they could use two things of two different colors on the same thing. So they could try and doom blade her. She gives herself protection from black and then they path to exile her. And then they need another thing to get rid of the thing that they really want to kill. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. This is a, this is a really good card for protecting, uh, you know, one of your important creatures. You know, yeah. the good thing about this deck is like none of the creatures by themselves are, you know, normal Voltron decks, you're building one big creature. And if that thing goes down, you're in big trouble. But in this deck, the way Exalted works, like any one of your creatures is pretty powerful. So you might get rid of the worst one, but that the second one gets all the Exalted triggers that that other one would have got. And they're yeah. still pretty awesome. They're still pretty badass and they're still a force to be re reckoned with. So I think that's a really strong aspect of this deck is it's really hard with spot removal to just take care of the deck like you can with a normal Voltron deck. Yep. Being able to swing the Exalted to anyone is really important. And uh, like Rafik says, he's Rafik of the many. So all your creatures of the many are all going to be really um, a threat on the board at any given time. Okay, let's talk about some cards you may not think of. Umazawa's Jite. Yeah, I didn't want to have to pronounce or, that. Or uh, Umazawa's Jit. Umazawa's Jit. Yeah. Uh, I, don't I don't even know, know. That's if like GTA is correct. Yeah, right. Um, so like, yeah, so many cards. Quesadilla or Fajita? <laughs> I've heard somebody say that before. You know that McDonald's used to have Fajitas. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I used to when I was a kid. I would always get fajitas from McDonald's, and right. people were always like, "What are you? What are you eating? That's not Big Mac." <laughs> uh, I don't like to order anything from McDonald's that's not like a hamburger or fries or yeah. chicken nuggets. Yeah, like I, I agree. Don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I trust them to make me no fajitas. <laughs> I don't think I trust anyone to make me a quote-unquote fajita. <laughs> uh, so Umazawa's Jite is uh, probably one of the best equipments ever printed. Um, it's from Kabagawa, uh, Betrayers of Kamagawa specifically. Um, it's two mana and a legendary artifact equipment, and it costs two to equip. Uh, whenever a equipped creature deals combat damage to put two charge counters on Umazawa's Jite. Uh, and then the second text is, remove a charge counter from Umazawa's Jite. Choose one. Uh, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Ugh. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you gain two life. Um, so all of these are incredibly effective. Uh, there's so many little things you can kill with a minus one, minus mm -hmm. one. But I think the first one is the most important. And the other thing, too realizes that Rafik out if someone is equipped with this this card says whenever equipped creature does combat damage and if you're double striking someone twice you're going to do combat damage twice so you get to have four charge counters on this thing essentially every time that you swing it it's crazy um, it is really crazy and the other thing with double strike is that you swing at a guy, right? He swings in, first strike damage is hit, and then if it's dealt combat damage, then you get two charge counters. You immediately put the counters on. So you can actually remove those counters immediately uh, to give it plus four, plus four for the second strike, which is which is just insane yeah. because it's, it's instant speed and you can do it in between first strike and regular combat damage. It's really not hard if you get this on Rafik or, or if Rafik's out at all to just kill somebody yeah Rafik by himself okay so he swings with this he hits for four the first time uh and then you can remove two encounters and then he's gonna hit for eight the next time so 12 commander damage in a single strike which is just as we like to say bonkers 
Bonkers. Bonkers. Yeah, that's a great card. Um, another one I like is uh, Cephalid Constable. Ugh. It's three mana. That's one and two blue for a Cephalid Wizard, a 1-1. One, one. It says, whenever Cephalid Constable deals combat damage to a player, return up to that many target permanents that player controls to the, their owner's hands. Yep. Ugh. That's a... Uh... That's the sound I make every time this happens to me. <laughs> yeah, this card is as shut down as it gets, I think. People will not like you for playing it, but uh, because it means that you get to return two permanents, essentially, with Double Strike. And it means... No, you get four. Four, that's right. Ugh, oh my gosh. Yeah, up to that many. Just yeah, four. So if it was just, just four. four. If four is <laughs> all four. you get, it's like, that's target permanents. That's four lands. That's their artifacts. That's enchantments. Yeah. That's the creatures. You know... That's if only Rafik is out and you can connect with the constable, you know, which is yeah. like one uh, unblockable effect. Never mind if you have two or three other exalted things. All of a sudden, you're returning like eight to ten yep. of their permanents. If you return eight permanents to back to somebody's hands, they're done. They're, they're done. That game is over for them because, and they're not, they're not going to be able to play them all or force to discard them or. I mean, some of those are going to be lands. Like they're not going to just have eight things out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the scary thing is that if you get this out early enough, you can essentially lock someone out of the game, which is why people will not be happy for you uh, for playing. I mean, it. if you make it unblockable, you can lock, you can do that to one person. Then the next turn, do it to the next person. I mean, yep. If you, uh, with finest hour, you can do it to multiple people at the oh same time. Oh my turn. God. I mean, you will automatically win if you can. Yeah. If you do it to two, to, to every player at the table, let, this card's bonkers. It's crazy. Yeah. We're saying bonkers and, uh, too many times. I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but it, it is. is true yeah, though. Uh, Rafik decks often get that, get that, um, nice quality of a, a can you tell i've been hit by that thing before it sucks yeah and uh, i love the flavor text too which is cephalids don't police people they police loyalties <laughs> which is great when you're returning lands and that is some good flavor actually yeah i think our friend flavor. james bianca would uh, approve yeah james if you like cephalid constable let us know because we love it uh yeah that card definitely uh brings a lot of hate to you at the table for obvious reasons yeah obvious reasons um another card that uh you may not think of is the equipment that i don't see often enough in commander and, and i don't know why because it feels like we should is, see it more yeah it is also nuts it is quite a spike uh three mana equipment uh three to equip equip creature has death touch so already this is an amazing thing with double strike because it means that you essentially will win most combat because you're gonna first strike yeah. them with death touch um and whenever equip creature deals combat damage to a player that player loses half his or her life rounded up uh that's you're crazy gonna deal combat damage twice by the way if you're unblockable <laughs> yeah if you're unblocked you hit them twice and then so they're down to a quarter of their life just from that yeah. so let's do the math here um rafik swings by himself uh four four he does first strike damage for four for, they go from 40 to 36 divide by half it's 18 he swings again from 18 to 14 divide that by half and seven in you one swing with nothing. That's just him and the spike. That's just him and the spike. That is nuts. Ouch. I mean, I can't even imagine how crazy this is with a couple more exalted stacks. You will literally be able to just to finish off someone in a single turn. Um, and if it's not you, someone yeah, else will. Because it's insane. like at that point, you can almost lava axe someone and kill them. <laughs> okay, so the next section is um, cards that you might think are good in the deck, but you know maybe aren't 100% optimal. Yep. Uh, is Kira Great Glass Spinner. She's uh, used a lot in Commander all over the place, um, but I'll read her. She's uh, one and two blue for a legendary creature spirit. She's a 2-2 two -two flyer. Her text says, Creatures you control have, whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time in a turn, counter that spell or ability. 
So well, she was, seems good. Yeah, it seems great. It seems like it protects your guys. You know, it seems like it makes them a lot harder to kill. Anybody that has like Path to Exile and Swords to Plowshares would have to use both of them on any given creature just to kill it. And you're usually going to have to kill Kira first before you kill the other thing. Otherwise, you're just not yeah, getting exactly. rid of the problem. So all of a sudden, I need three spot removal spells to get rid of your big Voltron dude. It just seems really good. But, you know, the issue you run into is that you're going to be using in this deck quite a few of your own spells and abilities, like yep. Mother of Runes, Berserk, which we just talked about. You know, And the equipment. Yeah, and equipment you have to equip twice uh, if, if you're if you have cure out because uh, she stops your own spells and abilities too, so it, it's just becomes a real pain in the butt, a real headache if you have her out, and you know it may or may not be worth it. I, I, th I personally think it's not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could see this as in some situational cases, but this is a deck where you want to target your own creatures uh, either to protect them or to give them that extra boof <laughs> boof buff that they need to swing in for the big hit. So Kira just makes that really constricting on your own on your own mana. Like having to pay an equipment cost twice just to get something on someone, it's such a waste of your own mana that you have cards that like asceticism and mother of runes and other cards that do the same thing that you don't want Kira. Yeah, exactly. You don't um, want it. other things that maybe aren't as good, uh pump spells in general are just too little impact, I think. You know, it feels yeah. like you might want to, like, Titanic growth or whatever, you know, because that's generally good with Infect stuff. But Infect is not the main thing you're doing. It's just it works with what you're doing, so you have a few Infect cards in there. But you're yeah. not going to count on any given game actually having effect, Infect on the board. Yeah, and that's not to say you shouldn't have it in any pump spells. I think Berserk is definitely worth it. Yeah, um, it's so strong that, that it's it, it's in there, yeah. Yeah, so you just have to be careful because, you know, at, at in this deck, you know, it's going to do the damage with or without pump spells. Um, it's going to still get it in for a ton of damage. And in a lot of cases, I think you have enough win conditions with Infect and uh, and having the Exalted Triggers already that you're already pumping your guy up three or four with the Exalted Triggers that you don't need to pump on top of that. And, and that spot is better reserved for a card that could protect your creatures because you're going to be the target of a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, Jimmy, so, you know, you've played this deck a lot. Um, let's talk about how to combat this deck, so how I fight it. So, you know, when you're playing this deck, what's the type of stuff that you're like, oh, no, like that, you know, like, how, how am I going to deal with that? Or, oh, crap, I hope they don't do this. Like, what are those ty the type of things? Well, definitely one of the main things about this deck is that it's not an aggro deck in, in early turns, right? Rafiq mm -hmm. costs four to put out. A lot of your big beaters that really do a lot of damage are five mana, six mana. A mm -hmm. lot of the equipment requires about five to six mana just to get out and equip and all that stuff. So having instant speed removal in the early stages of the game is really important. For instance, if if I foolishly pull out Rafiq and people have untapped mana, it would not be a bad play to just wipe him off the board immediately right. by exiling him or making him more, more to cast the second time around. So you need time as a player to set up so the protection you need for the deck and that's when this deck is really weak is that is that early game where you can really get damage easily and if you're not much you can do about it or if you're attacking into their blockers and they have guys that you know with exalted they may not necessarily want to block with because that helps fuel their deck um mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. getting in early and getting in fast is a really great way to beat this deck as is of course board wipes i think you sort of need instant speed board wipes though because um yeah you know, not always, but a lot of times you're making something unblockable, like right now, and it's protected by something like asceticism, and the only thing I can do is board wipe. You know, even if you regenerate it, at least that stops the attack from killing me right now. Yeah. Um. You know, yeah, so, you know, 
board wipes with Quicken or just instant speed board wipes uh, or something like Toxic Deluge, which, you know, doesn't care if you're indestructible or or you can regenerate. Yeah. And another big thing is also like just chump blockers. A lot of the creatures in here do have trample and do have special abilities to help get them over your creatures. But having chump blockers will definitely um, give you a little more sustain. Uh, because even if they kill your first chump blocker you and get through the second on damage, at least they're not hitting you for twice that. You know They're only getting half of it, so it's just like a normal hit. Um, but it's still really, really scary. Uh, so I'd say like instant speed removal is definitely the most important thing, mm -hmm. and knowing which key creatures to get rid of. Rafik is definitely the biggest target. Um, anything with Infect. Yeah, anything with Infect. Uh, stuff that also um, um, gives... Um, I think artifact destruction would be uh, pretty powerful against this too, because a lot of its reliance on uh, equipment and, to make unblockable or to give it infect or whatever. So that's, yeah, that's gonna be enchantment pretty removal too for sure. Um, especially a card like Thassa, if left unanswered, can really wreak havoc because she's so hard to get rid of because she's indestructible and all that. So having a car artifact and enchantment uh, responses is good because asceticism undoubtedly with will win that person the game it's so hard to deal with asceticism if you don't if you don't just remove the asceticism so yeah it's a super strong card so uh lastly do you want to talk about just generally when you're piloting this deck like what you're thinking about and how you're playing it yeah so i mean the big thing is like you need to focus on one player at a time um and it makes a big difference because if you just try and spread out the big damage as some try deck trying to do, you're going to find that you're just going to make everyone angry at you and they're all just going to target you. <laughs> um, I find that piggybacking on someone that's already about to go down the drain is really effective because that, that doesn't necessarily um, make anyone else feel like you're about to target them or whatever. Because if someone else is attacking, they're like, okay, I'll hop on this train and kill them first. That person that's attacking them won't be like, okay, cool. Um, now I'm going to attack someone else or whatever. Like It's like, it's like cool, now we're focusing on this person together and you can play the politics of oh, that up smart. a little bit. Yeah, and also, like, there's cards like Silent Arbiter that essentially enforce your game mechanic on the rest of the board. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about feature. that card, but that card is really good in this deck because you're only attacking with one guy ever anyway. Yeah, exactly. And if you can force everyone to only block with one person, that means your guys with Trample or Infect are really going to get through, and, and you have to really, you know, like, sack someone hard. And Silent Arbiter is just a four-mana artifact which says no more than one creature can attack each combat and no more one creature can block each combat. So it's exactly what you want to do with the deck, um, and it, it enforces it for everyone else, and it really does help you it's out. It's also so, protection. Like, you know, all of a yeah. sudden, they can't crack back at you. I mean, what's a token deck supposed to do against you then? They can only block oh. with one of their dudes, and they can't yep. attack with their... You know, they can have 500 guys out. You don't care. Yeah, Silent Arbor is just a great meta card, too, just to stop token decks, too, like overrun yeah. abilities and stuff. He's just amazing for that. Um, yeah, and the big thing is, too, is just, like, keep counters up. Um, get, you know, your uh, your Plasm Cashers or your Void Snare... And make sure that you're or able just to just counterspell. Just counterspells. Yeah, you are in blue. You do have the the whole host of counters at your disposal, uh, and that's really going to help give you that extra turn that you need. Because oftentimes with Rafik, I found that you just need one more turn, and you'd be able to do it. You know, yeah. so if someone stops you that turn or, or turn early, then you know, game over. This is a really cool deck. I mean, it's not cool when it's pounding me in the face, but yeah, <laughs> I like I admire this deck. Uh, um, yeah, but I won't admit that next time you're killing me with it. Of course not. Oh, did I mention, too, that you should have one creature in here that uh, I think we never talked about? Oh, what's that? The Prophet of Crufix. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've never talked about the Prophet of Crufix before. Yeah, never. <laughs> but you should probably play her in this deck because, you know, she's in the colors. Yeah, that's the thing. She has nothing to do with what this 
deck's trying to do. It doesn't Absolutely matter. Nothing. It doesn't it, matter, yeah. It doesn't matter. She's still awesome in this deck. I, I guess she sort of gives your guys like virtual haste. Because like right, let's say you, you have Yeah, let's say you have uh what's the other infect guy? The the spine um, biter. So let's say you have biter, spine yeah. biter. Well, if you played him on your turn, everyone would have a chance to kill him by the time your turn rolls around again. But if you played mm-hmm. on the end step of your opponent's turn right before your turn, now they only have that instant to kill it before it's killing them. Yep. So pretty, pretty great. Yeah, and plus she just gives you access to all your mana all the time for counters and protecting your creep. Nah, God, she's just awesome. Yep, Prophet of she, Fix, everybody. You heard it here for the 50th yeah. time. <laughs> you've never heard it before. Uh, you've doubted her effectiveness before, but guys, we promise she's better than you expect. <laughs> no, she's Has anybody actually doubted her? I, I've never, never heard a single uh, naysayer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so we're preaching to the choir. Yep, exactly. Um, definitely just, just, just buy some. Just hold on to them. Why not? I mean, yeah, anytime you make a green blue deck, you're gonna put her in there. I really want one of those cool uh, foil alternate art ones. I, gotta, I think they're only like two dollars right now. So you the can alternate art ones are only two bucks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, oh. you check it out. Okay, I'm gonna get um, some. And until a uh, company sponsors us, we will not tell you where to find these cards. You just have to do it yourself. <laughs> I'm sure you can figure it out, peeps. Yeah, it's not too hard. It's it's the worldwide internet. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna wrap up uh, this episode. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for feedback we've been receiving uh, on Twitter uh, and over email. You know we love that. We're always looking for new commanders to spotlight. So go ahead and tweet at us or email us. Uh, you know who you want to hear us talk about. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys have any other uh, of your own personal rules or teaching, or or if you are a teacher and found some, certain things to be effective, please email that in, and, and we can definitely discuss them in future episodes because we value your input. Or put it in the comments. You know, anybody who's watching or listening to this episode, you know, can glance down in the comments and see some other good uh, philosophies for teaching magic to new players. Yeah, we'd love to start a discussion. So yeah, please help us out. All right, cool. So with that, we will uh, say peace out. Peace out to the world. See you guys next time. Later. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>